0: give it a shot, we're doing Vayakhel today is the final two portions uh, today is a double this week is a double portion it's Vayakhel and Pikude. now in, in generally Vayakhel and Pikude are a summary of the previous Parshiot that we learned of the the parsha of Truma, Tetzave and Kisiso, that's a summary what am I saying as a summary? while in the previous partial in the previous portions we talked about God's instruction to Moses, so, Moshe, so Moses will say it to the Jewish people in these portions we're learning, thank you very much in these portions we're learning about how Moshe Rabbeinu related and told the Jewish people what he has been told by God, so Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the Jewish people uh, what he has been told by God. And therefore the Torah is going to repeat many of the details and some new details, but mostly repeating the details of what God has told Moses and the Torah tells you how Moses went ahead and related it to the Jewish people. But it's interesting that the opening words in this, words, in this week's portion, the first portion of Ayakil, Is and he gathered by Moshe, and Moshe gathered. Moshe gathered the entire Jewish people. Now, remember, I told you last week uh, for those who were here. But last week we discussed a little bit about how the things, some of the dates, how the things took place. But just a very quick recap: we learned about the fact that. Moses spent uh, basically 120 days in the mountains, almost consecutively, with a small break in between, but he spent a lot of time on the mountain, and the reason he spent so much time, first he got the first tablets, which he broke were on, upon his descent down the mountain, seeing that the Jews have uh, made the golden calf, uh, so he broke the luchus, and then,
1: so that's the first
0: 40 days those are the first 40 days they ended on the also a date that we know which is the 17th day of Tammuz one of the things is a fast day we know that we fast five times a year we really fast for troubles that have befallen the uh, the Jewish people um, actually uh, four times um, with the um, uh, having uh, Shiva Asar Bethamus the seventeenth day of Tamuz, and Tisha B'av, uh, and then we also have. Um, Esther. Uh, well, Esther is, is is different because that's uh, not for the destruction of the temple. But then we have um, the day after. We have you have Tzom Gedalia. Then you have Tzom Gedalia, and um, Kippur, and then you have of course Yom Kippur, which is also. Uh, connected with the with the atonement and the destruction of the of the Beit HaMikdash. But the um, the point here is that the 70th day of Tammuz one of the reasons for fasting, one of the reasons for the destruction for it, is because of the breaking of the Luchot, because Moshe Rabbeinu broke the Luchot on the 70th day of Tammuz. So anyways, the first 40 days They concluded with the breaking of the Luchas on the 17th day of Tammuz. Those are 40 days. And then Moses went up again for another 40 days to plead with Hashem. I'm
1: sorry. So he went up like right the next day?
0: Yes, the next day he went up. And, well, there was some judgment done. You know, we learned in last week's portion what took place, you know, after Moses came down. And then he went up the following day. And then he was up there for another 40 days. Uh, and then eventually God told him that he can come up again and then he stayed there for another 40 days and those 40 days ended with Yom Kippur so, but basically as a whole uh, as a whole uh, Moses was away from them from the time the Torah was given until 120, until after Yom Kippur and God told Moses to build this the this, this sanctuary uh, at the time that God have, has forgiven them. And he told them all these parshias. He told them all the things what they should do. So now Moshe is coming down from the Mount Sinai. Okay? So the day after Yom Kippur, after the day after Yom Kippur, Vayakhael Moshe, so Moshe gathered. This was like the first time after the Torah was given, Moshe Rabbeinu gathers the Jewish people. It's unusual. Most of the time, it says, Moshe spoke to the people, it says that usually says or Moshe said to the people. It doesn't say Moshe gathered the people, but here it says Bayakil Moshe. Moshe gathered. Now this so this took place the day after Yom Kippur. Okay, but let's just have somebody say Okay, we'll start with Warren. You'll start with the start with the first verse over here and then we'll uh, we'll we'll explain a little bit further as we go on
1: when Moshe caused the whole community of, ch- of the children of Israel to assemble on the day after Yom Kippur and he said to them these are the things that God
0: commanded to be done so he's commanding them about things that God has commanded to be done
1: it's yeah, it's probably a different <laughs> translation. It's probably some I don't have anything with Yom Kippur.
2: No, I meaning okay. no, they added that. It's not really okay. okay. Oh, not in the oh, text. Great. It's, it's, okay, so tells, okay that, what that
0: chumash does? That, the, that what that chumash does? It brings down. He includes. He incorporates
1: it's
0: right here. Rashi's commentary yeah, it's first,
1: first, yeah.
0: inside into the verse. Because Rashi explains, when did this take place? This took place on the day after Yom Kippur, after he descended uh, from the mountain. Now, even though it says here, by Yakil Moshe, he gathered. Uh, it almost couldn't be interpreted as he individual gathered the people like he went to each one. Is like I'm gathering the minion. You know, make a minion. Come to the minion. Come to the minion so you gather, then then that's an active but here Vayakel Rashi says means that he had them gather together in other words, he caused them to gather he didn't actively uh, go ahead by hand, take each one and bring them together but he instructed the people to come together because he had something to tell them but he begins with saying these are the things or the words that God has said to do them what did God say to do? Now, we're going to read immediately following this in the next verse. It talks about keeping the Shabbat. We know that although it is a mitzvah, it is a command to build the temple, that God told them, instructed them to build the temple, and Moshe Rabbeinu was going to instruct them to build the temple. But before they started building the temple, Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, that God told me that the building of the temple is important, but the Shabbat should not be desecrated because of that. You must keep the Shabbat regardless. So on the Shabbat one shall not do any of the work that needs to do and that needs to be done in the temple. So the words the words over here is Eladvarim Mashet Sivashem These are the words that God that God said to do. What does the to-do mean? So most of the commentators, they learn what to-do means, this building of the Mishkan. So although, as we're going to read immediately, there is no thing to do, actually, the following verse talks about not to-do. The following verse talks about not working on Shabbat. But they're saying that this Lasot Otam, to-do, is referring to what's going to follow after... Uh, the command to keep the Shabbat. On the Shabbat, they're not supposed to do. They're supposed to keep the Shabbat and not to do because the building of the Mishkan would not override, does not take precedent over the Shabbat. First, they have to keep the Shabbat. But the last Soto to do, refers to what follows afterwards. Uh, That's the simple. Let's look and then we'll see the other possibility. Uh, Esther, why don't we do uh, two, uh, verse two. Okay,
2: um. For six days, work may be done, but the seventh day should be holy for you, a day of complete rest to God. Whoever does work on
1: it, should be put to death. Yeah.
0: So, over here it says, right? <laughs> six days a week, work may be done. Right? It says, work may be done, for six days a week, right? Is that how translate it translates over there? Uh, let's see. How oh, did you say you
2: Yeah, did? that's how he translates it, yeah. Okay, so, done.
0: and on the seventh day... Seventh day, it says to be holy. It should be Shabbat Shabbaton. What does it mean, Shabbat Shabbaton? Complete rest, a complete rest, right? A complete rest. Okay, now there's a little bit. If you notice the expression over here, so why is he telling you now about the Shabbat all of a sudden? So, like I said before, Rashi explains that he tells them that the Shabbat comes before the work the 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 work takes precedence over the work in the temple matter of fact we find already the same thing in the proches kitisa we already find when god was speaking to moses he also tells moses not to do the work he also brings in keeping the shabbat which we learned that that means that even though it's important to build the temple but it doesn't override the shabbat um, now
2: also, the malachas that you're not allowed to do on Shabbos, on Shabbat, are all based on the things that
0: it's. But right. oh, very good, good point. That was my next question is going to be. It says, a six days you should do work. What constitutes work? What is what is the malacha? Malacha means a general word. The Torah says not to do work. Let's do one more verse over here. Uh, Ella, why didn't you do verse three?
2: Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your ha- habitations upon the Sabbath day.
0: Now he talks about one particular uh, malachah, one particular job of not to kindle the fire, right? But everything else is included by saying that you cannot do, you shall not do any work on the on the Shabbat. Um, what constitute work? So Sina mentioned that work actually is learned from the Mishkan, from the jobs that were done in the Mishkan. In other words, all those uh, functions and jobs that needed to be done to build the Mishkan, the important jobs, those are defined as jobs. There were 39 main uh, jobs that were done in the Mishkan. Since the Torah tells you that you may not do the um, work of the Mishkan on the Shabbat, that means you have to rest from the work on, of the Mishkan on the Shabbat. What kind of work did we have in the Mishkan? 39 jobs to, for, to construct the Mishkan. Those 39 jobs, one is prohibited to do on the Shabbat. Now, the word actually, "Ela," which is in the beginning... And the verse, first verse that we learned, the word the Hebrew word "ela" "ela" meaning these, that has the aleph lamed and the hay. Um, and um, um, we learn out from there um, also um, the, um, the 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 thirty nine the thirty nine malachas, the thirty nine work that one is not permitted to do on the Shabbat. Uh, from the from that from that verse from that word, but one thing is strange a little bit in the in the verse uh, that uh, Esther read. It says six days work can not be done. It doesn't say you shall do work. People it says tease melacha, not the taase. Oh. is an active. You shall do work. Six days you shall work. Oh. Um, the Rebbe in one of his talks he says that the works the words of saying say" should be done. He says work in general should not really preoccupy the person fully. A person should not be involved in his word work in a very active and a very immersed in a very in a way that it encompasses him fully work is as if the six days that you work is as if the work gets done a non active uh, part role of the of the person he explains that we have uh, several things that we must uh, do for our uh, for us to successfully fulfill our mission in, in in this world and one of them is of course that we need to work in order for us to be able to earn a living, in order for us to be able to sustain ourselves, our families. So those are things that we have to do. But the ultimate purpose is not just in doing work, but the ultimate purpose is to build our connection with Hashem. Of course, we we build the connection through different ways, but being connected spiritually, in other words, by directly being involved in study or in prayer or in doing mitzvot, which directly connect you with God versus connecting through God just because doing everything worldly matters for a good purpose uh, ultimately one needs to look at everything outside of uh, spirituality and his connection with God in a direct way as if it's by itself, in other words he is not really involved, he's not so much immersed in what he's doing, but rather as if it's being done by itself. As the verse, and we've already discussed it, the verse says, uh, the efforts of your hands uh, you shall eat, uh, there's a verse that says, if you eat the efforts of your hands, how lucky and how good is for you. So the fact that it says the effort of your hands means that the only part of the person that should be involved in his outside world should be sort of his external uh, powers, his external abilities, just with his hands. But his mind and his real self should be reserved for, for the study for spiritual matter, for the study of Torah, for the doing of mitzvahs. So that means that the job is as if being done by itself. Now, the Torah says it's an effort, an effort means, uh, as it says Yigiyad, is an effort because uh, if you do something that you enjoy, it's not so much effort like you're doing something which is hard on you. Uh, Somebody uh, once asked uh, the Rebbe, uh, as the Rebbe was standing for many hours on a Sunday, especially, uh, he would give out dollars for hours and hours, and, and the Rebbe was, you know, coming of age at the time, it was wasn't easy for a young man to stand so many hours. And somebody asked the Rebbe, he said, oh, don't you get tired when you're uh, sitting over there and staying for so many hours? And the Rebbe said that when you're counting diamonds or when you're doing something that you really enjoy, you're not tired, you know. So it depends really, you know, what you're doing uh, with your uh, time, how much effort you put in. When the Torah says you put in effort, it means that the job that one does, he shouldn't be doing it because, you know, he enjoys so much, you know, to pull those lines in the middle of the winter, uh, outside in the cold and in the heat, uh, because he really, uh, you know, loves that. He does that because that is what's necessary for 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 the person to bring home the living, and, and, and that's, that's important. But his, so that maybe is, is, is considered to be an effort, as opposed to, when they come to shul to daven or they come to the class to study, that's not an effort. That's easy because they enjoy it, you know. So even though it's time, but it's uh, you got to. But it's something which is enjoyable, so it's not such an effort. But that also explains why it says Shabbat Shabbaton. It says a complete rest, a double rest. Uh, in addition, Rashi already said earlier that the, the double language. See, we find basically two days of rest. I'm going to just share with you another another thought of here from the previous Rashi. There's two there's two times that one needs to rest. You know, you know, we have the holidays, which we call Yom Tov. Okay, Tov. We call Yom Tov good day, and we also have Shabbat. Now you know that there is a difference between, as far as doing jobs, doing work. There's a difference between. Uh, Shabbat and, and the Yom Tov. Matter of fact, Yom Kippur is also like Shabbat with regards to work. By Yom Kippur it says Shabbat, Shabbaton also. Okay? Meaning a rest of rest or a complete rest, as they say it over there. But on Yom Tov, on the Yom Tov, on the holiday, it only says one time Shabbat. It doesn't say complete rest. On Shabbos, on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, it says Shabbat Shabbaton, complete rest. But by Yom Tov, the same thing as by Yom Kippur, it says Shabbat Shabbaton. But by Yom Tov, by the holidays, like coming up with the festival of Passover, say, right? Passover in the Torah, it only says one time Shabbat. It doesn't say Shabbat Shabbaton. Likewise for Sukkot and for... uh, and for Sukkot, Pesach, and for, Shabbat. Uh, it doesn't say Shabbat Shabbaton. Why? Because there's a difference between the level of rest that takes place on Shabbat and the level of rest which takes place on Yom uh, Tov. On Yom Tov, on one is permitted to do work which is related to oichal Nefesh, which is related to one sustaining them- themselves. So like cooking is permitted carrying is related, is permitted, and then other things are permitted already. It's not a complete rest, it's only a rest from some things. So when the Torah says Shabbat Shabbaton, meaning a complete rest, a rest of rest, a double rest, meaning absolutely no Malacha, for no reason is permitted, it has to be total rest. As opposed to Yom which is only a Shabbat, which means it's only a rest, because you can't do ordinary work. But if it's for Euchel Nefesh, it's for the sustaining of the person for his life, for eating and things like that, then one is permitted to do work. It's been extended a little bit more than that, but I don't want to get off the discussion over here. But yet, in a spiritual level, the Rebbe explains it, that he says, if six days a week, when you're working, you're also not fully uh involved in, in the work, but you're also doing it sort of outwardly, it's only externally working, but inside, who are you? so you experience actually Shabbat a whole week, a whole week in essence is a Shabbat by you, why? because since your work is not preoccupied, you're not preoccupied by your work and you're not immersed in your work the work is just being done, in a sense you are Shabbat a whole year when we say Shabbat Shabbaton meaning if you want to reach the ultimate of Shabbos then when Shabbat comes you're not just resting you're complete resting because even a whole week when you're working you're also Shabbat you're also resting because even then you have a certain level and the Rebbe explains that this came as a response to Yom Kippur to the sin of the idol worship and is an interesting thought. Usually we look at idol worship. What is idols? We take a look. There's an idol. There's a physical a statue or an idol or something. And people worship that. But the truth of the matter is that the Maimonides explains what does idol worship mean. Idol worship means like when people worship the moon and the stars and there are certain uh flows that come to this world like things grow when the sun shines and so the, like the 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 sun impacts you know does does a lot of good for us so the people the nations that worship uh, the idols it's not that they disagree that uh god exists above all these powerful planets and and, and and uh, intermediaries that give us uh, light and life and other things. But they they believe that there is some credit should be given, whether it's the sun, the moon, when they worship, not talk about just worshipping a piece of wood, but they worship those items that benefit them and give them their sustenance. So they the mistake, what they think is idol, what they think, what is the idol worship is, they agree that God controls them, but they believe the servants of God also deserve some credit. So when they worship, they bow to the sun and they bow to the moon and they worship the stars. That's what it means is, what they're saying is that they also deserve some credit. And because they deserve some credit, we're going to bow down to them. So we're going to say, God is the God of all gods, but also He works, He orchestrates it through different intermediaries, or different mediums, is the way God sort of bestows His blessing on us. So those mediums, those intermediaries, are are worth our individual attention, that we should sort of praise them, we should worship them, we should bow to them, we should give them credit. That is the meaning of idol worship, which means not denying God and not just a statute, but to give credit to some of the means through which we receive our benefits to give them credit to. But of course we know that in, in, uh, in Judaism, idol worship is totally prohibited, because the way we look at it is just like, can you give praise to the metal that chops or the axe that cuts down the the tree. If the axe is merely a piece of uh, a piece of metal, it has no say. It has no. Can't give credit. You can't praise the metal because it's kigarsin It's like the metal and the one who carves or, who uses it. So giving credit to the moon or to the sun or to the star is like giving credit to the piece of metal which a person uses to bang with it, of course there's no credit to the to the metal, the credit comes to the person who's using the axe in order to accomplish what needs to be accomplished so in a similar way when you think about it in the Hasidic literature a similar way in a very refined way there can also be idol worship In the sense when we start believing that our livelihood comes not from God but from the work that we're doing you see that of course God wants us to uh, to do and work and six days a week we should engage ourselves in jobs and work we have to occupy ourselves in in doing things but sometimes people start giving credit to their action but we have to know our doing is merely a vehicle, is merely the acts through which God gives His blessing. Because, God, God blesses you, what you do. So really, who deserves the credit when we are successful, or when uh, we are able to uh, bring home you know, a uh, paycheck does the job, does our efforts, does our talents, does our abilities, we deserve the credit? Or those were just means through which God gives us His blessing by utilizing our jobs that we do to send us His blessings. So when people start worshiping and idling, whether it's themselves or their money or in, that, in such a way, uh, and to such an extent that it overwhelms them, they get caught up in it and they start believing that that's the answer to to everything is their work and their talent that is in a refined way that's like a Zorah because you're worshiping that then you begin to worship that and you forget that it's not that's just merely a vehicle It's just merely a uh, uh, a way in which God provides the sustenance to the person and that's why the verse is trying to tell us over here because the Jews were atoning for the sin of the eagle, for the sin of the golden calf and God is basically telling them, you know, the work that we do should all be like it's done by itself it's not something we engage in it not in a way that it occupies us, that that we are absorbed in it, but we remember all the time that it's the word of God, that it's the blessings of God, it's His help that is actually what gives us the the power to overcome. And if you read in the story, like we just came from the holiday of Purim, uh, just about a week ago, but we're still under the influence of Purim, that was actually Esther's approach uh, in the Megillah, that um, although she was trying to find favor in the eyes of the king, she needed to get uh, the king to, to accept her plea, So instead of um, going to the king and beautifying herself and trying to impress him and, you know, maybe eating well or doing uh, her, you know, preparation well, what did she do? She went for three days and she fasted. You know, a person, you know, after fasting, a person isn't feeling so well, isn't maybe looking at their greatest. They're, They're just hungry and they're tired after three days of fasting. So Esther says, I'm coming to the king while I'm fasting. Esther should say, how can I go to the king when I'm fasting? I should be my best so I can impress the king. Yes, because Esther realized that the key to uh, to success, of course you have to go to the king and you have to ask the king, but what gives her grace, what gives her favor, what gives her the ability to impress the king is not her physical just because she's going to show up there. That's why she's going to be able to influence the king. She knew that she needed God to have Ahasuerus, the king Ahasuerus, look at her favorably. So the most important thing to her was to win God's favor, to win, you know, grace from God. And then, once she has God's grace, she'll already automatically find the grace by by, by king Ahasuerus. That'll happen. So, by a... um, by a person uh, putting too much emphasis on, just on the, on the vessel, on the vehicle, or sometimes it's given the, the example, is given like a garment. Uh, a garment that a person wears, you know, it beautifies the person, it's nice, right? But if you make the garment too large, too big, so that it slaps on the ground, that it drags on the ground, then you can trip over it. So, too much of a garment, it's nice, it's good, it's, it's, it's great, but if it's too much of it, then it's no good either because then you actually can fall because of the garment so if you create too many vessels and too many uh, you know, too much, you do too much more than is necessary then it actually becomes a hindrance, it doesn't become a, a help, it doesn't support your goals the main thing is always to remember who is the one that gives us the blessings, who is the one that really controls the things yes through the vehicle and you know that story that uh, we repeated many many times about the the person who was stuck in the house over there and he asked uh, and they wanted to save him and he says no he trusts God and and then the flood came and uh, and the the boat came and he says he trusts God and then he goes up on the roof and they send a helicopter to Coast God to save him he says no I trust God and then he drowns and he comes from the heavenly court and he says God how could you do this to me he says you know, how could you let me down like that? You disappointed me so terribly. I trusted in you with all my heart. I wouldn't go got out of the house. And God says, listen, I sent you the coast guard. I sent you the boat. I sent you the helicopter. You know, that was God sending you. God sends us all the time. It's not something else. It's not two gods. It's not two ways. It's not a way of nature and a separate nature. All this is part of God's plan for us to do. And we have to... Find those signs and utilize them because that's what God wants us to do. So the point over here, what I'm trying to say is, in order to get oneself rid of the refined abodizara idol worship of believing too much in the uh, in the vehicle as a means as a way is by one realizing and and and, and putting to heart. That's why you correct abodizara is by realizing and 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 and. Uh, and trying to uh, live their lives, that everything is actually secondary. Everything is not as important. It's just done. The work is done. Their own, their their ambition, their goal, their uh, idea is to uh, live a life of spirituality, of connection with God, of Torah and mitzvahs, and everything else is just a by the way thing. It's like, it's like the glove. That the person wears in order to do it, the glove is all what it is is a glove. It's not a, it's not independent. It just, you just the the work and everything you do is the glove with which you get God's blessing. But that's all. But it's not a, the glove doesn't give you the blessing. It's only uh, and and that's why it's, it doesn't make sense for a person to, you know, write a lot of checks and you know you have. But if you don't have money in the bank, the checks aren't worth anything, right? I mean, what is, so you just have, you're just writing paper. It doesn't mean anything. You know, you have to, unless you're the American government, you can just <laughs> print the money. But, I have a
2: question for you. Yeah, sure. Now, they're talking about you can't light a fire on Sabbath. Now, say you light the fire before Shabbos on Friday. It, can you keep that fire going by adding locks? You now I'm just wondering, I mean, because I'm reading it here, and it says um, enjoyment of light. Light or fire on the Sabbath. So, can you keep the fire going? Is that considered?
0: Let me let me say to you this. Okay, we're gonna okay. Let's move on to that to that subject that you asked about lighting on Shabbos. Um, there were gr- Jewish uh, uh, groups throughout history who deviated from the traditional from the rabbinic interpretation of the Torah. And uh, throughout, there were different groups, different, various different times, uh, different names. But basically, some of these groups, they remained uh, uh, committed to the written Torah, to the Torah Shebiktav, to what is written in the Torah, but they did not buy into the interpretations of our sages, or what we call the Torah Shabalped the Oral Torah. They didn't learn the Oral Torah, and they took things of the uh, verses literally actually many times in the talmud we find discussions debates going flying back and forth between the rabbis and these tzedukim or the by the different kind sadukais and the karaites. what karaites. karaites and karaites it's, it's in a later time that they this they they agreed to the torah but they didn't interpret it or they didn't follow the tradition of uh, the rabbis of the oral torah So when they actually interpreted this verse, they said no fire on Shabbat, which means that on Shabbat you have to sit in the dark. A. And B, they said that no cooking on Shabbat. In other words, you can't eat any warm food on Shabbat. So as far as they were concerned, as your question, they learned this verse. Don't make any fire on Shabbat means not only the act of kindling the fire not only the act of creating the fire but actually the use of fire in Shabbat is prohibited we however our tradition by the oral tradition there is only a prohibition in the creating of the task of starting the task Uh, usually we attribute to the person to the act even though if an act takes a long time to accomplish. And like today we know very simply, you know, you start a fire, for example, right? Fire goes on for a while. Uh, With electrical objects, right? You turn on the washing machine, right? And then it washes. So what happens? You turn on the washing machine before Shabbat, right? But then the machine washes during the Shabbat, right? You put on the stove... A pot before Shabbat and then it goes and it cooks the entire Shabbat. Am I cooking on Shabbat? Well, the act that I've done has been completed before Shabbat. In other words, my involvement with the act has been completed before Shabbat. So that I put the pot on the fire, I started the fire and I put the pot on the fire before Shabbat and now it's cooking on Shabbat. Am I doing the job of putting a flame on the Shabbat? Am I doing... See, in this case, we're talking about basically two, two things. And the, First of all, starting the fire. That's one job. That would be a job even if you didn't cook anything. You're just starting a fire. That would be a job in of itself. And then if somebody else started the fire and you put something to cook, that's another job. That's called cooking on the Shabbat. But in this case, I started the fire before Shabbat. I put the pot on before Shabbat. According to our oral tradition, I'm not violating anything. Why? Because the entire act has been completed at the time that I did the act. From that point on, it's being done by itself. It's cooking, it's if, fire is going.
1: What if like one minute before Shabbos, right? You put on this huge piece of meat that was totally raw. Wouldn't it be cooking on Shabbos?
0: Now, let me answer you. The answer is it would be cooking, but I'm not violating anything with that. I just want to say to you... So, could you could eat that then? No, one second. Let me just say We have a whole other set of rules which are ordained by the rabbis, of the rabbis' ordinance about what we may cook on Shabbat or not, and with the blech and everything else, which is not... What I'm discussing right now, we can talk a little bit about it. But right now we're discussing strictly the Biblical, the Torah prohibition against Shabbat. So in your example that you said, now you threw in some, some scenarios over here. You said that the it was totally raw. Now you may have a point with regards to uh, the rabbinic issues, whether it's raw or not, which is I'm not getting into right now the prohibition, let me just say to you, the prohibition against cooking is any part of it, let me just say to you, for example if somebody cooked a piece of meat halfway right, or half of the needed way, and then the other one cooks the other half that's still considered cooking on Shabbat, just because you didn't cook it fully doesn't take away, any part of the meat that is being cooked or that the food that is being cooked on the Shabbat is part of cooking so, in your example, of course, it's being cooked on Shabbat. But my act has been completed on before Shabbat. The minute, if I put it a minute before Shabbat, I've completed I have nothing to do with it anymore. Because you see, we do that when we light the Shabbat candles on Friday night, right? Before Shabbat, we light the candles, and the candles go out and burn during, during the Friday night, right? Why? Because the act is done when I kindle. When you light the, 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 the Shabbat's light, you've done the job. The fact that it keeps on burning later on. So to answer your question, the continuous lighting is been completed when you've started first. But, you ask something else. You asked, can you add another piece of wood to the fireplace, say. Say that you have some wood from before Shabbat and on Shabbat, you want to put in another Board in there, another piece of wood to keep on. That's already, we're making a fire on Shabbat. Because you're doing the act at the time. The fact that you already have a fire over there, that doesn't matter, but you are starting now a fire on the piece of wood on Shabbat. And that would be, of course, prohibited on Shabbat. You cannot do that. People
2: must have froze to death in Russia. No, well, <laughs> yeah, <how'd> they, <laughs> well, how, they how do these, they keep it going? What? How did they keep it going? That's what I was wondering, how these Shabbos poor goy. people kept it going, freezing in Russia. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, talk about a Shabbos Goy, uh, you know, they had like somebody uh, do it, but, but really uh, they were able to, they were able to um, do their ovens and they were different kinds of wood that would uh, last for a, uh, for a pretty long time. And hence, you know, we have many, many halachos, many laws of under what circumstances. Which, by the way, even though generally uh, from the rabbis, uh, when one is not permitted to do something by himself, he shouldn't really ask uh, somebody who is not observing the Shabbat to do the work for them. In other words, you cannot benefit... If you're keeping the Shabbat, you're saying asking a goit, but if you're keeping the Shabbat, you're not really supposed to benefit by asking somebody who's not keeping the Shabbat to do a job for you. However, in cases where it's uh, a matter of, of, of cold or danger, because that's considered, uh, when it's cold, it's more lenient. So in those cases, that would be uh, uh, maybe permitted in those cases. Um, Now, there is a a lot of uh, explanation. Why did the Torah single out and mention this one job of all the 39 jobs that we're talking about, the Torah mentioned about not starting a fire on Shabbat, right? So we have a lot of different kinds of jobs. We have 39 uh, jobs, right? And the Torah only finds it necessary to mention one. And the question is why? Why does the Torah just mention this job of uh, kindling the fire on the Shabbat. So, um, there's several explanations, but I'm not going to go into it. We're going to go further on. Um, Let's go. Sarah, why don't you do uh, uh, verse 4. Let's do a little bit over here.
2: Moses said to the entire assembly of the children of Israel, saying, This is the word that Hashem has commanded, saying, Take from yourselves a portion for Hashem. (coughs) everyone.'" Whose heart motivates him shall bring it as the gift for Hashem gold, silver, copper, turquoise, purple, and silver wool, linen goat hair, red dyed ram skin, tachash skins, acacia wood, oil for illumination, spices for the anointment oil and the aromatic incense, show him stones and stones for the settings, for the e- ephod and the breastplate
0: so these are all different kinds these, these were actually mentioned right in the beginning of the Parsha Truma where God told them to go ahead and bring them now the verse over here is telling you that you will um, that uh, Moses is telling them that they should go ahead and bring it now um, in verse 4 that you read Sarah over there it says uh, that Moses says again to the entire Jewish community, uh, what does he say to them? This is the matter. This is the matter that Hashem told me to tell you. Right. Now, so he's saying it again. It started off. How does this differ from the verse one? In in verse one, he says, these are the things that Hashem said to do them. And here he's saying them again, this is the matter that Hashem said for me to say to you, right? So, that's why when I said before, according, it's a little difficulty according to the commentators that say, that Moshe was telling what it says to do, it says two times, as if repeating himself twice, this is the thing that Hashem said to do. Basically, because he interrupted with the uh, six days a week you should do work, and the seven day you should rest, so then he already uh, jumps over and he jumps to the uh, saying again, uh, this is what God has said, sort of repeating himself. But it's not so, not so comfortable. It's not so easy because it's, it's, it's sort of repeating himself the saying exactly the same thing a second time. However, the way we learned before, in a way, this is uh, adds because in the first section he's talking about basically how one should attain what God has told me, basically the first time is referring to, uh, God has told me how we should really reach the level of Shabbat. How do you, the first thing is not referring to what it says, this is what God told me to do, to do what? To make the Mishkan, but to do, this is what God told me to do during the six days of the week that to do that if you work during the six days of the week, like I told you, in a way that you're not immersed in it, then you'll have Shabbat Shabbos. So the first one is really talking about the Shabbat. And now we're starting to talk about the job, the uh, work that took place in the Mishkan. But that is the second step. Okay, Sina, why don't you go continue? Now do you go ahead. um
2: yod, right, Chen. Uh, yeah. Every wise-hearted person among you shall come and make everything that Hashem has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its cover, its hooks, its planks, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The ark and its slaves, the cover, the partition curtain, the table, its staves, and all of its utensils, and the showbread. The menorah of illumination, its utensils, and its lamps, and oil for the illumination. The incense altar and its staves, the anointment oil, and the incense spices, and the entrance screen for the entrance to the tabernacle. The elevation offering altar, the copper knitting for it, its staves and all the utensils, the laver? Here. The laver.
0: That's the big basin of yeah, yeah, the
2: yeah, water? The basin. Um,
0: in its foot. The yeah.
2: curtains of the courtyard, its pillars and its sockets, the screens of the gate of the courtyard, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the courtyard and the cords, the knit vestments to serve in the sanctuary, the sacred vestments for Aaron, the Kohen, and the vestments of his sons to, min- to minister.
0: And then finally, verse twenty. What does it say?
2: The entire assembly of Israel left Moshe's
0: presence. So he he gathered them, and he told them he told them what what uh, what needs to be done. I want to just quickly just read a little bit. Let's go next. Plessy uh, twenty one.
1: Mm-hmm. Every person whose heart inspired him come, and everyone whose generous spirit inspired him brought the. Contribution for, for Hashem, the work of God, I mean, the, for the work, for the tent of meeting, for all its necessities, and for the holy garments. All, all men came together with the women next to them. Everyone whose heart inspired him to ge- uh, generosity brought bracelets, earrings, rings, and body ornaments, all kinds of golden objects. Every man who donated an offering of gold to Hashem. Everyone who had turquoise, purple, or crimson wool, linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, or uh, tah- tah-
0: takash. That's kind of an animal, you know? skins, skins of the takash.
1: Yeah. Everyone who set aside a donation of silver or copper bought the donation for Hashem. Everyone who had uh, a a sea wood for all the work that needed to be done brought it. Every wise-hearted woman spun with her hands, and they brought uh, spun thread, turquoise, purple, and crimson wool and linen. Let Esther
0: say.
2: Women
0: whose hearts inspired them with wisdom spun the goat hair. Now it says spun the goat hair, uh, but it says in the verse it says actually spun the goats. It says, and mm. Rashi says that they actually spun it while they were still attached to the go- to the goats. Mm.
2: Really? Yeah.
0: Esaizim, mm. easy. Esaizim. Then they did it. They did it actually on the goats. It was like a a craft, like an unbelievable craft. You go ahead. Mm. 27.
2: Okay. The leaders brought the shoham stones and filling stones for the apron and for the breastplate, the spice, the oil for lighting, for the anointing oil, and for the incense. Every man and woman whose heart inspired them to generosity to bring a donation for any of the work that God had commanded them through Moshe to make was brought by the children of Israel as a gift for
0: them. Okay, so then later on we're going to learn how later on, how it was constructed, the people that were constructed, and how they made the collection, and how everybody brought a lot of the stuff, and how they um, actually uh, took later on the accounting of all the gold and all the silver, what everybody did, and how much was spent for the Mishkan, and how everything was made for that, but that will live for another time, okay? We'll,
2: what did, we'll did call you it say the last your... two words were?